Hello, welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. I'm joined today by Tom Zenia, Phil Savage, and I'm Sammy Roberts because I forgot to introduce myself. Um, <laughs> Someone mentioned last time we did a podcast, uh, after like three months of not doing one, we didn't refer to the fact that we've been away for so long. So this time I thought I would. Um, we've got to be contrite. We have, yes. But I don't want to make any grand promises because I want us to actually ha- do a few in a row before saying we're back and making a big deal about it. Hmm. Um, so yes, I had two people tweet me asking what happened to the podcast in the last week. Um, and one person said, uh, can I delete it from my app? Is it just dead now? And I went... You might as well delete it. I don't want it taking up your headspace. <laughs> and then I decided, like, a day later to bring it back. Yeah. That's... So basically, you've done it purely to troll this one person by telling him to delete his podcast feed and then bring it back immediately. Yeah. Basically, yeah. So sorry, Simon, with the tape avatar on Twitter. Like, uh, I've uh, done you a wrong there. Um, but, uh, yes, I uh, w- we'll try and do this more consistently. We've deliberately scheduled it around the magazine deadlines to ensure that... Hmm. Um, We've tried. Yeah, yes. the maximum amount of... Well, maximum chance of us actually doing it. But basically. to put PC Gamer in context a bit, like all three of us have had uh, a recurring appointment to play Apex Legends once a week for the last month, and oh, yeah. we've done it once. <laughs> I'm really sorry. So Sekiro happened last That's week. That's true. Yeah. Division happened the week before. Today I have to write some freelance. So, <laughs> um, but um, I'll move it to later this week, and mm-hmm. uh, we will we will do it again. Um, I, love, I love the idea of having a weekly dose of just completely sucking at that game. Uh, it's great for our self confidence. I think that's why we can only do it once a week because. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess we can talk about Apex Legends. Um, I, I don't think either of us, any of us, have really played it since they added that uh, new battle pass. No, um, no. I don't think they're really character. New character, that's true. But then I haven't even unlocked all of the characters who are in the game already, no. um, the other two that you can get. I don't deserve those characters until I can <laughs> shoot one person in that game and get a kill. Yes, it's uh, quite demoralising, isn't it? Um, I, I, I'm sw- I'm sure that like I killed like at least one person in the PC version and it just didn't count the stat. The stats um, per character. So if you switch characters, oh, it will yeah. reset it. That's it, yes. Um, I remember you explained that to me at the time now. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a, a source of embarrassment. Um, it's a very good Battle Royale game though, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, yeah. So it launched like completely out of the blue. They didn't tease it or anything. Apparently the map was kind of bouncing around the internet for ages and no one just cared about it. Mm, and then yeah. suddenly uh, the Titanfall developers came out like, well, we've done this, everybody, here it is. And it was brilliant and everyone loved it. Yeah, because interesting sort of Titanfall was at such a low because no one had played the multiplayer. Yeah. Um, it had like uh, people really loved it single player mm. people actually played it anyway but it seemed to be considered a disappointment um, so the idea that this came out of nowhere and mm. has been so successful like apparently made like 90 million plus in its <laughs> first month Jesus. yeah Respawn really deserved that hit because um, like Titanfall's multiplayer is really good it's just mm. for some reason it didn't take off didn't grab people's imaginations but the whole kind of war running mech kind of hybrid multiplayer shooter with kind of Call of Duty feeling guns was a really nice idea it's just they've perfectly tapped into the zeitgeist with a battle royale mm. in first person with good guns and a lot of features that Fortnite doesn't have frankly in terms of just moving around that battlefield and, and moving around the space feels much better shooting yeah. feels much better it's just for me a better game in lots of ways yeah I think so it feels like the battle royale game that our generation can, like, can enjoy. enjoy more um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. doesn't require you to build things yeah what is even up with the building in Fortnite like, <laughs> I, my stupid meat brain it just can't handle the building side of it for right. sure. and you're up against 10 year olds who have who live Amazing, and breathe this it. stuff yeah, and they're yeah. like oh yeah I just built a mansion in 5 seconds <laughs> while you were learning how to reload <laughs> Fortnite yeah it's like 50% being good at that is getting getting good at building plus sometimes it's a concert venue um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah whereas like Battlegrounds is that incredibly kind of 
I don't want to say tedious, but, you know, that armor-style, simulatory mm. kind of... And it's silly in a lot of places, but um, the way it handles simulation is very specific to a certain branch of PC gaming, and this just feels like the perfect midway point, yeah. where it's like... I mean, if you spent any time playing an old Call of Duty multiplayer game, uh, you will be instantly at home, pretty much. Yeah. It's that thing of, like... Um... Uh, if someone had asked me before it was released, do you does the world need another battle royale game? I absolutely <laughs> would have said no. Mm. And then you realise that these are the these are the the experts coming back to reclaim their crown, basically <laughs> of uh, you know king multiplayer game. Um, mm. So yeah, good for them, frankly. And I, I I I'm curious to see how it evolves. Like I kind of hope it doesn't do the Fortnite thing of just having one map that keeps changing. I wish they would just add more maps. Like mm. that seems to be. I mean, like people, people just have their favorite Call of Duty formats, for example, and um, the idea that this might have like two, uh, like, you know, like kind of maps of that size rather mm. than one that keeps changing and bits of it vanish, even mm-hmm. though they're perfectly good bits of level, yeah. that would kind of suck, I think. It's but, interesting because, uh, like, I guess the player base is big at the moment, but if you have multiple maps, do you, people start splitting alongside their favorite choice? You know, or yeah. do you have like a rotation that will irritate people? And multiplayer games have had this problem even with just like arena shooters. Like, some, some people people hate half the maps of a game. Like, I remember Team Fortress 2 coming out, mm. and Valve's favorite map was this massive thing with a radar dish in the middle of it, and oh no one played God, it, everyone hated yeah. it. But it was Valve's internally, that, like, reportedly, that one of their favorites, they thought it was going to be gold. It was like, wow. an, it was a specific mode, and, and um, that was the only map launch released for that mode and it turned out the player base hated it so much it was the only map ever released for that mode I think yeah, it was yeah. territory control or something TC underscore there's loads of um, versions of this like so Destiny launched with a, a vehicle map um, oh, and it was kind of a nod to Halo uh, mm. they do good kind combined of combined arms maps. I think it was called uh, and Destiny it, 2 or what? Uh, this is the one and okay. it, it just bombed no one cared the vehicles were horrible in it it didn't make any sense well the vehicles all suck in Destiny that's the problem they're not like the vehicles in Halo which no. are actually fun yeah um, yeah the vehicles were bad and the snipers were overpowered so yeah, it's yeah. like wow this is the Nightmare. least fun you can have in destiny at the time mm-hmm. uh, and every now and again the community will still be like oh can we have this map back like there'll be an upvoted reddit thread or something about can we have this mode back and it's like no you idiots what are you doing <laughs> it's interesting as well because like um i think that PUBG had this problem too right his second map for a long time people didn't like it as mm-hmm. much as the first and it would i just remember it being a common sentiment that people yeah. would like avoid that second map or they would want they wanted um Select map selection so you could just avoid it on purpose. I think you can do that in the game now. Yeah. The reason I stopped playing PUBG was because it was so janky for such a long time. Yeah, that's true. No matter which PC I was playing it on, mm. and no matter how much I turned the details down, so I was basically looking at you know like like a nineteen ninety six PC game by the end of it with all the textures removed. Um, I didn't like the, the way the guns handled as well. Like quite a hardcore military sim basis to that game that you know uh, Apex gives you the impression of it's got bullet drop and stuff like that, and mm. you've got to be good, you've got to be accurate. Uh, says the manual has very few kills in the game, um, <laughs> yeah. but the, the, the guns are a lot friendlier and more accessible, and I kind of enjoy that as a kind of in a battle royale context where you're just running around. It's a bit of a, a lark, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit too chaotic for that kind of incredibly serious mm. gun simulation. The thing, yeah, the thing we kind of learned as well was that like we were spending far too long being cautious and treating it like it's armor, yeah, like we're yeah. about to get hit. When really, like you all only learn from actually getting a combat encounter, yeah. and not lingering around and finishing in the last sort of like five teams. You, you, you know? can finish quite high up by doing nothing, but you don't really get any sense of achievement from it. It's no. just like you hide up until the point where you're clearly outclassed because you avoided all of the good loot zones. <laughs> mm, yeah. So yeah, uh, with our current experiment 
experiment is trying to get right into the fight and it has the benefit of rounds only lasting like a minute because mm. you land and immediately die because yeah. somebody's better at punching you in the face than you are. Mm. It's interesting because I think it, feel like, it feels like a genuine sort of um, game of the year contender for us mm. uh, already. Yeah, I think uh, how it progresses is going to be key. Um, like, they've done the one battle pass season now but that was a fairly... I know, it felt underwhelming just looking at what it offered. It's just a bunch of rewards and things. Like, there didn't seem any meaningful change to the game, and I think it does need some sense of progression and um, new kind of either event things or new additions beyond just, like, more characters. Is it the only way you can unlock the two new characters they're adding? Uh, I don't know. Because I was wondering if you could just buy them individually. It's possible like, you could buy them like you can with uh, the, the, the other two. I assume at some point that pass is going to go away, and so mm. there will have to be another way to unlock them. So I assume, yeah, you'll just be able to buy them with in-game currency or, you know... But yeah, if like, all a season really does is give you a bunch of cosmetic award- rewards, it's it's not a great... like. I think, I think a season needs to be built around some sort of... Theme. Theme, yeah, and more than more than a cosmetic theme, it needs, like... I don't know, maybe it is new maps, or maybe it is they change the map in some sort of way. But Ultimately, though, like Fortnite, I mean, changes the season sort of changes anyway, no matter if you're paying for the season, the, the battle pass mm. or not. So, like, really, with that, you're only really paying for cosmetics. So people... Yeah, no, I mean, I, like, it it doesn't need to be tied to the battle pass, I'm just saying. Right, like, yeah, it yeah. does need some kind of update progression, I think, some sort of plan of what this game looks like in the next year. They, but, yeah, they had a very vague roadmap. Like, I think they had four beats of, like, we're doing this, then we're doing this, and we're doing this. And it was uh, none of it sounded, like, that extensive. Mm. But um, then again, like... How much does it need to change? Is like is our relationship with like how it, what we expect from games changing? Like, hmm. is, is that just sort of affected the our expectations of a game like this? Can Certainly it for this kind of genre? I think yeah. Like, can it not be what it is now for like months at a time when that map is so good when it's such a good repeatable experience? I, I, yeah, I mean, I think yes for months at a time, but like these games want to live for years at a time, right? Um, and like. So far, I think it's just seen that like the way you do that is, especially with this kind of game, is you have to create the content yourself and release it. Um, like a studio has to find a way to keep the community engaged because, like it, in older multiplayer games, like uh, Quakes or Unreal's or whatever, it would be mods and stuff. The community would come and just create mutators and fun things, and the server browser structure of it meant there would be. Like if you were bored of just the base shooting experience, there would be something interesting you could try. Um, TF2 did a similar thing, but also supplemented that with lots of different updates and themed events and stuff. Mm. And it's only now that sort of Valve have moved away from it almost completely that it feels like interest has really dropped off from that game. Yeah, like, okay. the long tail of Team Fortress Two is still astounding. Like, yeah, mm. okay, interesting. If you think about the way Fortnite's structured, like it's it's a it feels like a really fresh way of updating a game, mm. and it's the perfect playground fodder. Like if you're uh, with your mates and, and you, know, you go to school, you're talking about oh, a cloud has appeared in Fortnite. What does it mean? The endless playground discussion. Like it's perfect for generating that kind of interest in the crowd that really plays that game. Yeah. It's, it's sort of um, they've got a few advantages there, haven't they? Obviously, they've been around longer now, and they've gotten into this cadence of creating this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's their own engine, um, so they know it incredibly well. And mm. if they, it's probably extremely quick for them to, you know, turn this stuff around. Um, which it, it might, who knows? It might be more of a, a barrier to a game 
like Apex Legends, where yeah, I know is it built on um, uh, like a custom version of Source, like the um, like Titan. I don't know I actually. Think so I think they I think left... it is. I, don't, I can't remember because they, they used a heavily modified version of Source for Titanfall One, yeah, but I yeah. think they might have moved away from that for Titanfall Two. Okay. So I don't know what they're using at the moment. For, I've, I've for no items. idea. So I've uh, no idea how quick it is for them to create. Yeah, that's true, and it's possible like they came up with a fairly um, conservative roadmap at the start because they had no idea what mm. it would be. Yeah. Like, and the fact that it's been popular might mean that they can afford to step up their plans a bit. Right, so Apex Legends is just one of the great games we've been playing this year. It's, mm. We've given out five 90 plus, uh, 90% plus scores on PC Gaming this year already. This is unprecedented as far as I can tell. Like, when early, the, you know, the early period in a year has been so prolific for yeah, great games, yeah. like, it's absolutely bizarre. It's and, none of, and none of them are scores that we'll later have to be embarrassed about. <laughs> I think so, no. <laughs> they shouldn't be, like, especially when I mean, we've been really careful about throwing out 90s. Yeah. recently like in the last two or three years it's mm. taken a lot and it's just been after a fairly barren feeling 2018 yeah amazing um, yeah so, so those score so those um games are uh sekiro shadows dies twice oh wait sekiro isn't it that's how you meant to say it i think so yeah that's how they say it in the game oh there you go um i assume they're correct <laughs> <laughs> uh and then there's uh slay the spire yeah mm. apex legends yeah uh devil may cry 5 yeah and one more summer skies Oh, uh, Barbary's you got 90 as well, so yeah, that's six. six. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, six then. I completely missed that, and I'll have to update a couple of articles <laughs> and, and a tweet I sent out this morning. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, but that's that's amazing, really. Super good. Yeah. Uh, and these aren't even games that have really been delayed from release season last year, which is the thing you tend to see happening. These are games that are just meant to come out, and this is what I've always wanted, great games coming out throughout the year instead of being mm. tied to a kind of a fall release season thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, games like Resident Evil 2 Remake seem to have gotten much more attention for the fact they're releasing in a slightly quieter time. Uh, and you know, that, I don't think got 90, but that's another great, great uh, game yeah. that's come out this year. It was close. I think it was 88 or 89. 89. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I love that game too. And um, I think as well, like the the variation in uh, types of experiences there, those are all very different types of games. Yeah, and, that's really um, true. And like the what I loved about Resident Evil Two was that it's not that long. Like mm. it took me about fourteen hours to do both the A and B campaigns, and then I felt done with the game. And it was a, a really nice sort of concise experience. I think one of the reasons that stood out is because it was just so uh, such a tightly packed game and such a contrast to the hour eating um, slogs of like open world games mm. that are, are now so incredibly popular. Um, and so yeah, it's it's cool that it was able to stand out on that basis. I guess as well as a remake of a game that a lot of people liked. Um, yeah, it's such a smart remake as well. Like they really modernised a lot of the, the the design to make it palatable to a modern audience, while keeping a lot of throwbacks to Resi Two. It's like a mix of nostalgia and good new design. Absolutely, I suppose on a similar note as well. Devil May Cry Five is mm. kind of that too. Like it's built on it's a sequel basically to an eleven year old game, mm. uh, and feels very familiar if you're a fan of that series. Like um, hack, you know, there's hack and slash combat. There's these different characters, two of which are are quite familiar and then one who is ridiculous and uh, and new and reads poetry in battle which is yep someone's big ridiculous it summons a giant kind of oily golem thing which i think was a boss in devil may cry one or something there are loads and loads of references mm. in the game back oh, cool. throughout the series uh so yeah he, he fights with his pet demons his name is v and uh he's got a, a long leather jacket and he's he's very uh maudlin <laughs> <laughs> i like the embodiment of life journal <laughs> I do kind of like how ridiculous um, he is yeah, and how too, the game yeah. doesn't I, I sort of like your um, is it 
oh, is it, what's the girl's name in the van uh, who makes Nico? I Nico, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who just cracks wise, and so whenever any of the ridiculous characters in that game take themselves too seriously, <laughs> she basically undermines. Them <laughs> yeah, she's there to and make fun. Yeah, she's there to make Nero look ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, uh, which she does all by himself anyway. That's a fun dynamic, though. I think like uh, she just points out the ridiculousness of all these. Um, <laughs> main characters it's uh yeah she's a fun character yeah the story's so absurd and just uh they have these meticulously developed cutscenes and amazing performance capture uh but then they also released in the extended edition uh versions of those cutscenes which are just actors and developers sort of acting out the, the scenes but with like plastic props and cardboard <laughs> cutouts and stuff like that and some very very bad cg effects uh, and it just shows that it, no one involved in this is really taking it uh, the world or universe terribly seriously which is completely right for Devil May Cry mm. it is, it's ridiculous over the top um, 5 is a bit dark and gloomy I wish it was a bit like brighter and the, the environments were a little bit more poppy mm. but the combat is absolutely incredible like it's the best devil, like iteration of that Devil May Cry style of expressive combo driven uh, arena combat mm. and then the, the number of tools it gives you by the end of the game and across those three characters is just brilliant like it's so much fun like Dante has this hat that you can throw onto enemies to make them wear the hat and then when he hits them while they're wearing the hat they leak more orbs oh good and then there's like a, a nunchuck which you know gives you ice and fire powers there's just so much stuff that you just switch between on the fly it's brilliant oh that's really fun like I'm about seven levels into it now yeah um, and I, I, I think I think what kind of the tone of it is something I really missed uh, about Devil May Cry, just how sort of the commitment to silliness, like yeah. you say, they all these like elaborate performance captured cutscenes um, for a man leaping around, cutting enemies in half while cracking wise, and there's basically new metal playing in the background, <laughs> yeah. and I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I I also think that its um, difficulty settings are more generous than previous games. Mm. You know, like it's kind of they're so, it's softer. But the skill setting uh, remains as high as it did before. Mm. Like you'll find more health items in the environment. It's, it does not kick your ass quite as much. And obviously, you have more difficulty settings unlocked when you finish the game. Mm. Um, is it the Dante Must Die mode? Is that in the game? Uh, I think I think the there's a Son of Sparta mode that unlocks when you beat them beat on normal. Uh, but there, there is an easy mode which is good. And there's also like an auto mode that you can turn on at any time in the game. Mm. And that will kind of your it will do the most the coolest possible combo with your button presses on <laughs> auto mode. And it, that's when you see like really advanced combos with Nero where he can rev up his sword because his sword is also a motorbike that catches fire or something. And then mm-hmm. uh, when it's sort of like on maximum fire mode, it gets extra moves. And you, on auto mode, you actually see the potential of the character and how how you're not playing them. So it's almost like a, a mid game tutorial as well as a, a kind of crutch for people who find the game difficult initially. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's I'm really sure there's good. lots of angry people in uh, Devil May Cry 5 subreddit who tell, who tell me that um, that would be doing it wrong. And how dare I? But uh... <laughs> oh, it's, it's not for them, that's the thing. And the difficulty mode is brilliant because once you've mastered the game and unlocked all of the weapons, you take them into New Game Plus, which is sent, which is sent in Spider Mode. And all of the combat encounters are different, like all of them. And they mix in enemies from later in the game into the first opening levels, but mm. obviously you still have all the tools. And it's like a, a different game. It's It's... Almost like the new game plus is a, a direct continuation of the normal mode experience. It's designed to be played several times, and there's loads of secrets and hidden missions and that kind of stuff throughout. That's cool because it's um yeah it's obviously they're adding the bloody palace mode as well, which is like yes a, yeah endless. Oh, I forgot they're adding that. That's first of April, so that's next week. Yeah. Oh, that's that's me sorted for <laughs> next week. That's gonna be great. <laughs> bloody palace is always the kind of end game for Devil May Cry. It's weird that a game like this would have an end game, but mm. that's what it was like for fans. Like you, you, you want to get to level 100 of this crazy arena mode, and they tend to start mixing bosses in with weird enemy combinations, and it, it was really going to test your mastery of the skill set if it's done well. Yeah, it's cool that like um, that sort of thing gives you a reason to keep playing this game, which you can 
been kind of finishing about 15 hours yeah. just uh, over and over again. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's uh, it, it was great to see that get 90% and another Capcom game that's extremely good after Monster Hunter yeah. and Resi. They're on a roll. They are on a roll, yeah. Mm. I wonder what they'll make next. Maybe mm. they'll announce E3. I've well, got uh, Monster Hunter's expansion coming out uh, later in this year, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would imagine there's probably like uh, another full Resi game on the books, like nice. probably like Resident Evil Eight, another first person one, it's similar to Seven. Nice. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of an exciting prospect. Okay, cool. So another game that we've given a high review score, and another one that you reviewed, Tom, is mm. uh, Sekiro: uh, Shadows Die Twice. Yeah, this is um, the latest from From Software, developers of Dark Souls and Bloodborne, which is actually still not on PC, um, still brilliant. And you play a ninja on a quest for revenge, and you're you're kind of protecting a young lord little lord uh, who has the power to bring you back to life over and over again and hence the kind of resurrection mechanic where every time you die you respawn a, an idol and you can get resurrections in combat uh, the combat itself is you're a, a shinobi so you've got a small, short katana um, and it's really intense high stakes clashing sword combat where mm-hmm. one blow can kill and uh, it's a game about posture where you're kind of hammering enemies until their posture breaks and then you get a killing horribly violent killing blow on them uh it's an incredibly satisfying combat system that i've played this game for seven to three hours and i still love it and i feel like it's there's again another kind of really high difficulty ceiling to it uh if devil may cry is kind of about expressing yourself through combos and creativity scare is about surviving and just being really good at parrying and really good at you know watching enemy movements uh, you really feel like you're in like tense brawls with these bosses, like sweaty palms, double my heart rate when it comes to the end of these things, and you finally beat that fucking ape, and uh, you sort of, like, <laughs> scream in victory, and and that's it. That's the the high point of this game. I do remember you uh, dropping into Slack last week and just sharing a picture of you surrounded by <laughs> loads of furious monkeys with swords <laughs> yeah. with hats. With uh, hats. Some of them have guns. You've got to take out the ones with guns first, oh. otherwise they're going to be you know interrupting you from afar. Jeez, I, I um I've only played about three hours of it. Phil, I think it's played a similar amount to me. But, that sounds about right. But it looks like we've already gone off divergent I d- paths. I didn't know there was a different path to go down at the start, but mm. uh, in any case, yeah. Um, I uh, oh yeah, you can miss. Yeah, you've got to speak to a specific character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. Huh. Um, yeah. So, um, I've uh, I'm I'm extremely impressed by the um, the swordplay too. Like how precise every hit feels. I was reading a, a, a interesting Eurogamer um, comparison piece, and it sounds like there's a slight bit of input lag on the console versions that huh. just isn't the case on PC. Yeah. It's no, so it's it feels so sharp. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't think sword players ever felt this good in a game. Like it, how satisfying it feels when you um, parry an enemy enough to get a killing blow. Um, how good it feels when you deflect bullets with your sword. I've oh, yeah. always wanted to do that yeah. ever since Metal Gear Solid Two had a bit right at the end where Ryan mm. got a sword and could deflect bullets. Mm. The fact it feels so good in this game and how each shot is a precision sort of like parry. That's uh, that feels fantastic. Um, but uh, I, I, I must admit, there is there are parts of it that feel better than uh, what I played in Bloodborne, which is the only previous Souls game I've actually given a go. Hmm. Um, I think that the fact that you don't have that stamina bar thing, oh yeah, um, that's good, and the combat feels nice and immediate. Like the parry system, however that worked in Bloodborne. <laughs> Was so abstract. <laughs> yeah, it made me uh, furious. Of course, the only reason reason to use a gun is to make a man flinch slightly so you can stab him. Good, <laughs> and that felt good when I did it. But even when I was like studying YouTube videos showing me how to do it, I couldn't replicate it in game because I just, I there's no there was no way to really reconcile why things were timed the way they were mm. in my head, and so I just kept missing them. I'm still getting a bit of that with um, 
Sekiro I find though like my biggest problem right now is just figuring out the timing of the attacks and like I find like a lot of enemies like deliberately seem designed to kind of throw off your sense of timing and they'll yeah, have definitely. a short delay between an attack or whatever and you think okay well he's definitely attacking now and then it's just like mm. just split second off mm. um, so that's the thing like there are fundamentals that I feel I've got to perfect before I'm going to make any real pro- progress. Yeah, that's it. Like uh, normal dudes, I can take out quite easily now. But mm. like the, uh, I, I I sense that this game's going to kick my ass constantly in the in the very mm. near future and make me very angry. But, it, uh, yeah, but it make it makes you look and feel amazing as a character as well. So, but the animations of the game are just incredible. Uh, and there's one boss you fight where he's a swordsman and he's got a massive bow and he uses them interchangeably in combos where he'll leap in the air, fire off two arrows. Then, as you're slicing the arrows out of the air, he'll dash forward, and like parrying all that stuff successfully is just amazing. It's just the best because mm. you, you feel like the, the best ninja in the, in the world. And uh, it, it, as brutal as it is, when you actually get those kills, you've gotten them through skill, and you haven't gotten them through grinding souls, which is a big part of how Bloodborne mm. and previous Souls games work. Is that you? Um, your echoes that you're collecting from killing enemies and your souls that you're collecting from killing enemies you put into your character and make your character sheet stronger so you do more damage that's not true at all for Sekiro like, with Sekiro you're, uh, it's a pure skill challenge Like you're not going to get more powerful easily um, you could take a different like different path and maybe be a different boss which might increase your attack power and let you come back but you can't grind it you can't just kill enemies repeat yeah. areas and over again mm. it's, it's, it's a game about learning the combat system as Phil says and just learning parry timings and uh, learning how mobile your character is and how you could use jumps and slashes and how you counter special attacks it's, it's just a very involved and deeply satisfying responsive combat system mm. that I mean, it's remarkable that it can sustain 70 hours of play really um, because like even in Dark Souls you tend to settle into one move set um, one weapon and stick with it for the entire game mm. which does kind of render all of the builds and all of the different weapons you can use a bit pointless only the most hardcore players do repeat new game pluses pursuing different builds most players just go sword and board and play it that way and so Sekiro focuses all of its effort on making one way of playing the game just as satisfying and responsive as possible and I've seen like people on Reddit comparing Sekiro to uh, Dex build in Dark Souls and in uh, Bloodborne where you basically mm. just go full parry all the time and it's basically it's a dedicated version of that combat system taken to its you know finest honed mm. uh, point uh, and the result is is a really focused action game that isn't really an RPG even though it feels like a, an RPG in some ways it's just yeah. a great combat game mm, and it's got beautiful sort of like movement as well with the mm. grappling hook and the jumping like uh, actually feels very nice to hop around environments um, which I, I never really thought character movement felt that good in Bloodborne personally but mm. um, yeah yeah, I'm I'm loving it. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure I'll never finish it. But, uh, <laughs> it's massive, but it's brilliant. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I would have I would have regretted not giving it a go. Mm. Just I mean, just like if you've ever been sort of down on those games, and the feel of like hitting an enemy in this is just amazing. Mm. Like, that's just that that feels quite different to the to those previous games to me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, well, I look forward to being uh, mauled by a big angry uh, yeah. monkey. Um, of course, taking a two-year break and maybe finally finishing in it in three <laughs> yeah. years okay cool so next game we're going to discuss then is uh, Anthem which came out oh, a little yeah. while ago um, but I thought we could talk about anyway we've talked about too many 90 plus games so we needed something a bit different I think so yeah <laughs> just in case people are tuning out because of all the optimism <laughs> what did we get there it was 50 60? 55 I 55, think right. yeah which in retrospect is fair um, yeah I think so <laughs> yeah 
And like they obviously they have acknowledged that it's got problems. Like it, it, that first kind of uh, just following the kind of anthem um, official Twitter account, it feels like they were just in denial mm-hmm. um, for a while. And then obviously Casey Hudson released a statement last week about how they acknowledged it was a rocky launch, but they've got a lot of plans ahead for how they're going to improve it. Yeah. And fair play, that's that's good. It seems like it's made it's actually done incredibly well as well in terms of like I think it was a number one selling game in the US last month and digitally it made loads of cash so people have you know have spent money on it people certainly own it yeah own it or (sighs) the drill's back the drill is back (laughs) drill savage drill savage is back um yeah so people either own it or they subscribe to origin access premiere and gave it a go Mm. i don't know if they'll still be there in six months when they've actually added some of this stuff like yeah i mean march is nearly over and have they added those new world events yet i mean i've kind of been in um Katana Land. Yeah. <laughs> Stabbing people have no idea what happens outside of Katana Land. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, and then they're meant to be adding the new Stronghold next month, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a raid. Is that the raid? No, it's a Stronghold. It's kind of like a, a dungeon strike, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then like the raid, I think, is meant to be in May. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's probably all hands on deck to get that done. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating because like, there's parts of the game... Glimmer's the game I really like. I really like the javelin suits. I think they all feel mm. significantly different and they're fun. It's really fun to jetpack around the world. The world looks beautiful. Mm. Um but that's pretty much it, as far as the stuff I enjoyed. Yeah, it's like the they don't have many enemy types. The ones they do have in the game aren't that fun to fight, really. Mm. Um, once you've fought one Ash Titan, you don't want to fight it again and again. Um, and like the world activities, I think there's like four or five, and then they just repeat themselves over and over again. We had a good time, like mm. going going around that, going through that world, and just sort of finding bits of treasure and seeing what it all looked like and finding like a shiny cave or whatever hmm. but then we were done with it within one afternoon really we didn't yeah, want to carry on pretty much yeah. strongholds are uh, quite fun they show a kind of uh, there's potential there in just a bunch of people in cool mech suits blasting around a dungeon yeah. like the, the core fantasy is pretty strong it's just the execution is just not there yeah and obviously the story um, as it's presented uh, siloed mm. off from the rest of the game in this area that looks nothing like the rest of the world uh, is kind of a poor decision and mm-hmm. all of the choices they give you are kind of meaningless and yep. <laughs> yeah it's it doesn't really it tries to play to Bioware's strengths in that regard but just misfires yeah I mean I think having a poor story isn't a huge problem like the way it forces that poor story on you by just keeping you in this Fort Tasks area for ages to slowly plod around finding characters to have long conversations with is just incredibly tedious in what is like generally meant to be a co-op game as well um, yeah it, uh, every now and again it will uh, load you into mid-mission cutscenes which fairly early on when I was playing it would just crash the mission sometimes yeah etc etc it, uh, it was a difficult experience <laughs> and uh, then halfway through it said well okay we're done with missions now uh, go and grind these challenges out before you can progress uh, yeah. and I literally never got past that I closed the game and never opened it again mm. yeah I did those it, they made some tweaks to those to make them less awful like if you're in the vicinity of someone opening a chest it counted as you opening a chest oh that's good um, mm. how they didn't spot that before the game mm. was released just loads of stuff like that yeah. yeah so just stuff that wasn't anticipated like it doesn't feel like it was designed to be a co-op game the amount of stuff it puts in your way as a team and how difficult it is to group up and just go do stuff is you can't do that in this genre because other other like Destiny's perfected this the division is good yeah. at this even things like having only letting four people go into just an open world roaming zone yeah. uh, when there's public events triggering and that but which is fine it's just like if you go in solo queue and there's say three other people and they're tooling around just farming materials or 
ticking off whatever challenge they've got to do. Um, a lot of the time I found I was just stuck doing the world events on my own yeah. because like it only takes one or two other people to be have a different goal in mind that it just becomes dead. Yeah, that was most of my experience too. And like the other thing is that some of those world events, they're pointless to do by yourself. Fighting an Ash Titan by yourself sucks. Mm-hmm. It's just bad. Um, and so the only way I, I was able to do those fights is just by whacking it down to easy to grind through those challenges. Mm. Um, oh yeah, that's the other thing, Phil, is that later on it will make you do that again but to a lesser extent I think you have to kill like three Ash Titans and get mm. an item from them in order to progress to the last story mission or something like yeah, that yeah there are a couple of items you have to get by killing certain things but yeah it's not as extreme as the treasure chest stuff no but it still makes it feel like they have to bulk out a game that doesn't have much meat on the bones yeah. um, the story yeah. just sort of ends and then they're like oh yeah something else is going to happen soon but well it would have been better if you'd have just made a full game well a game that had all of that in it on day one instead of like siphoning it out and saying, "Oh, it's a live service game." And it's like, "Well, yeah, but all it's done is made your game worse." Like uh, you could have had, you could have launched with more content, and mm-hmm. it would have been a better experience. But instead, it's piecemeal. You have to tweak loads of these bits that you didn't, uh, you know, that the, the, the released in such a poor form that they didn't feel like ready for launch. Yeah, sure. and yeah, and it's and it's disappointed everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, just not going back. Like it doesn't matter how much they really improve it I don't think like in the time since that game was released hundreds and hundreds of hours of actually amazing games were released yeah mm. I just can't see myself ever bothering yeah I th- yeah you, just play the, you play the Division 2 don't you because mm. as an experience Division 2 as a co-op experience is, does things very 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 well like, in terms of letting you group up and do stuff it's one of the best examples in co-op gaming really it doesn't even have lobbies you just sort of jump into each other's games and right away it levels you correctly for certain challenges and it seems yeah it adjusts brilliant. everybody it makes certain encounters incredibly challenging but uh, also <laughs> quite rewarding yeah yeah. thanks Sam <laughs> I think it'll balance out if you reach level 30 and yes. you have a gear score and then we can we'll, we'll, I'm sure it will but I know it'll take you a few hours to get there so mm. uh, yeah mm. I, won't, I won't force the subject but um, <laughs> I also know that you've um we're, the raid isn't out for a while yet, so you can uh, you've got plenty got of time. Some time. To, yeah. Good, good. Yeah, I think they're adding. They've yet to add the final um, sort of like end game tier to the game as well, and, and one more um, stronghold slash strike. Um, so yeah, this that's a very high value game. Uh, I've, uh, yeah, the division two it was just a, a very nice contrast to Anthem. It's a world full of stuff to do. Um, naturally, it still has people on a subreddit complaining about how they've done everything in the game after playing it for 50 hours in like four days. Will always happen. Yeah, always <laughs> it, will, it will. But then there's there are loads of repeatable experiences in that game, like the, mm. com- the control points will amp up in difficulty once you reach end game. The control points being um, these kind of open world outposts, basically, that you take over from an enemy, um, install your own AI buddies there, and then um, you, you receive items and uh, loot for having done so. And then... Yeah, once you reach end game, there'll be different tiers of that. So you have to fight more elite enemies in order to take it back from an enemy, um, and so on. And there's an interesting sort of like dynamic map um, to the end game of the division two. It will you'll see enemy patrols like walking around the map, and your own guys walking around the map. And it feels like it's this ongoing fight for mm. Washington DC. It makes the map feel more alive than it does in the um, in the early game. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot going on in that, and I don't think it'll be to everyone's sort of taste, but. Comparing it to Anthem, I mean, geez, it's. I mean, it has a thing where you can just hit a button to change your inventory. Yeah, I mean that that alone. What I can swap thing. my gun mid-mission if I want. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying. I, I I sort of like I don't feel like that let down by Anthem in the sense that I didn't expect it to be that good. Like I really didn't. I thought, why is mm. Bioware making this four-player co-op game where 
you need it has to be in co-op. There's no AI buddies. Oh yeah, I think I had some expectation because it demoed really well, like at E3 or whatever. Because all you did was, um, I think it was just one of the stronghold missions, maybe. Um, and you know, it's a bit of everything, like setting up combos, like collaborative, you know, working with your team members, and just flying around a beautiful looking world. Like that played to that game strengths quite a lot. Yeah, in pockets, it is, mm. it is very impressive and fun. Mm. Like you say, Tom, those strongholds, uh, they're pretty good. Um, but then you, when you when you reach endgame, doesn't it ask you to do uh, like the same strongholds 50 times or something like it's that? It's 100 times, actually. And 100, wow. I think there's only three, and one of them is just the last mission. Uh, which, which isn't <laughs> Again, very long or very good. Or very good, yeah. No. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's this way. And then the, it's the whole loot system is like really uninspiring and, and, and boring. and it, It's just, it, it wasn't. Didn't feel ready to me to be released at all. Just, no, there's that very a very weird sort of combo system as well, where mm. it, it's not about doing combos with your buddies so much as doing combos by yourself. Which um, it turns out that way, yeah, yeah, mm. it does turn out that way, yeah. So and because you're playing with strangers most of the time, you're never going to make your builds compatible with each other because mm. you don't know what they're going to have in there. Because you're loading in blind and can't change your inventory once you've met them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. So there's no, And there's no in-game chat, so you can't talk about, oh, hey, maybe you can change your build to this. I mean, there's so much missing from that game, yeah, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, but hey, you know, they've they've taken a bit a good kicking with it. And fair <laughs> yeah. play, they've, mm. um, they have uh, you know done their best to say, we're going to fix this in future. Um, so another uh, looter shooter that's doing a better job of things right now is Destiny 2. You two have always enjoyed Destiny 2, uh, even when it went through oh, some off. darker times. <laughs> That's true. Um, you, um, Egg Clan, uh, your clan, clan uh, lives and the thrives. Clan, not just Egg Clan. <laughs> yeah, you joined the wrong. Uh, Samuel joined the wrong Egg Clan when he tried to join us, and it turns out there are some imposters out there on the internet. Imposters who like <laughs> sort of put more very, into very egg similar. Clan. To, uh, they, they even had an egg for a flag. Like they did a really good job with that. I think <laughs> so um, they really bought into the bit, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> they did, and they used the word egg more on their profile than you did. Um, yeah. But uh, I was shocked to discover that I joined the wrong Egg Clan. Um, so yeah, you're you're in brief. Then, what's your journey with Destiny Two been, and what and what state is the game in now? Hmm. Well, Destiny Two is is somewhat tragically taking exactly the same trajectory as Destiny One. Yes. Where like the game comes out and everyone loves it for a month, but then absolutely hates it for about a year, mm-hmm. and then they they release like a few kind of interim expansions that are often feel like underfeatured and not worth the money, and you know just full of pointless grind that satisfies no one. And then halfway through the game's life cycle, they release the redeeming expansion that makes the game brilliant again for about six months. So we're currently in the the honeymoon afterglow period of uh, the release of Destiny 2 Forsaken, which is the kind of correcting expansion that changes the way the loot works, rebalances the game, adds loads of new stuff, and some cool story twists. Uh, I guess the difference here is that since then, they've changed the way they do expansions. So instead of doing two mini-expansions that kind of rejig things for a bit they're doing seasons now and each seasonal uh, change brings in new modes new loot uh, new gear and new stuff to see and so far like the first one was was not amazing like Black Armory I don't know Phil you've done lots more Black Armory yeah I've done a lot more the problem I had with Black Armory was it was basically inaccessible until you've reached a certain power level power Mm. level is like your I I say end game um power rating like level rating but getting to top level 
the the actual XP levels in Destiny is incredibly trivial, so it is pretty much just mm. a rating that defines which activities you can do based on how powerful the enemies are. And um, yeah, it, it must come. The I, I think you can do. Actually, we couldn't even do the first Black Forge for a long time based on because mm. I think it raised Forsaken would have raised the light level slash power level to 600 and then uh, this new season up to 650 and it's not generous with its levels let's put it like that or it hasn't been until like this new season has released like a thing to instantly get people up to about 640 which puts you in range of doing the new season stuff mm. which is I mean it's what they should have been doing all along really because mm, um, like, if you've paid for these annual pass things it's, you sort of pay for this year of seasonal expansion stuff. Um, and if you've done that, it kind of feels like you should have a route to play it that isn't just grinding through the same activities you've been doing since Forsaken's launch, basically. Mm, okay. Um, but once you actually get within range of doing it, it, it there was there's a lot of strong stuff there. Mm. Um, it's tied to some really good guns, which just sort of makes this kind of fun horde mode activity that they added... Um, because every Destiny endgame activity is some a, a wave-based <laughs> horde mode in some form or another. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I remember um, spending a lot of time in the Court of Oryx back in the day. Yeah, in Destiny 2 you've got... Uh, certainly in the expansions and the annual pass stuff, you've got a thing called Escalation Protocol, a thing called Blindwell, a thing called Forge Ignition, and um, I guess even Gambit Prime to an extent. They are all just ways to kill a lot of enemies in... A very specific uh, way. So, from the outside looking in, it sounds like Gambit Prime is the most interesting thing they've added of of late in Destiny. Can mm. you explain what that is and how that works? So, the original Gambit is um, a sort of a combined PvP slash PVE mode where, through the most through most of it, you are like in a race. Two teams of um, players load in and are racing to kill the most enemies to um, steal little triangle things that pop out of them and jam them in a bank um, and by doing that you can screw up the other team um, and occasionally you can evade the other team to screw them up a bit further and that was good and fun and it felt like a really nice sort of new style of competitive activity because Bungie, especially over the last over Destiny 2, have really struggled to balance their actual PvP modes um, the Crucible thing, like that's probably for all the things Destiny Two does well now. That's the thing that is in the most need of looking at because it's just. Um, I don't think they've even touched the balancing of it for a good year or so. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, they were going to release their hyper competitive Trials of Osiris. That's what it's called. Um, uh, Trials of the Nine. Trials of the Nine is, is yeah, now, yeah. Um, which is kind of like a really elite four v four mode that existed in Destiny One, Destiny Two for a bit, uh, and they were going to bring it back, and they said, "Well, it's just." We can't. It's on indefinite <laughs> hiatus. Wow. Uh, because the, the PvP balance is such a, a weird place. And uh, the competitive mode. You've got like a casual playlist, which is fine. You get home for the public place of uh, casual, mm. and it's still for good fun. But competitive is just ruined at the moment. <laughs> competitive is ruined, but competitive is also tied to a bunch of incredibly grindy subquests for guns mm. that you can only get for doing really well at competitive mode. And once you get them, they are the best guns for competitive mode. Yeah. So if you don't have them and you want to get them, you're screwed because all <laughs> the good players have them and uh, will kill you quickly. 
with okay. their good hand cannon. So instead of touching that whole mess, um, the, yeah, the season adds Gambit Prime, which is a one round. Ver- uh, gam- normal Gambit works across three rounds. Um, so there's a bit of push and pull. There's a chance to come back and stuff. And Gambit Prime just kind of condenses it into this one like hyper difficult, hyper competitive version where. Um, the enemies are a lot stronger. Um, there's a lot more chances to invade and screw up your opponents in various ways. Um, there's a lot more opportunity to come back from a big deficit, like the catch-up mechanics and the way that you can um, really turn things around in the final boss phase are um, really interesting, actually. And um, there's this whole uh, bonus system tied to the new armor pieces uh, that you can get by doing a thing called the Reckoning, which, surprise, surprise, is a, a Horde-based um, wave kind of mode. Uh, like, they're all slightly remixed. This one's got this strange phase on a bridge where you capture six control points and you need very hyper-specific loadouts and you get angry when you don't load into a team with them. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So mm. they basically redesigned Horde over and over again to give you fun, repeatable activities. Yeah, basically. So Forges are all about, um, like... So, yeah, Black Armory's Forges, a load of enemies will come into you, as is the way, but specific ones will be glowing blue, and those are the ones you actually have to kill to extend your timer and pick up batteries and throw them at a big thing in the centre. <laughs> um, whereas, uh, yeah, The Reckoning is about demonstrating... Well, this, the first tier is, like, demonstrating dominance by just killing things and not dying. Mm. Um and then, uh, yeah, there's a lot of control point, like a progression of control point of objectives, and then a weird boss fight at the end. And yeah, there's lots of different remixes on that. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you, by doing that, you get gear that feeds back into Gambit Prime and makes certain roles uh, more viable by giving you interesting bonuses. Mm, okay. Well, interesting. Well, I, mm. I, I have uh, installed it and uh, played <laughs> the first two levels of Destiny 2 with the intention of. Uh, Getting through it, it's now it's now on my list of things to do because I I want to do these. Uh, I know Phil's trying to set up a raid group at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah, we've not done any of the raids. Some of them look very interesting. Yeah, they um, I want to do the raids in that game and Destiny One. <laughs> Go back and do nostalgic kind of road trip through Destiny One. Well, I never did those raids either, and I I, yeah. I, I did always want to from the way people talked about them. So yeah, yeah it's, it's my intention to create a, a summer of raids. I just, <laughs> the I summer of raids. <laughs> nice. I just have to rattle through the Destiny Two campaign and whatever other content and get yeah. my like, uh, my power level up. And it's good fun. Like yeah. it's, it's Destiny Two, I reviewed it, and it's just a brilliant thirty-hour sci-fi game that gives you loads of great loot all the time. Like it's really super generous with the drops and stuff, especially. Mm when you pop out of that story mode at level 20 or whatever the, the number of activities that I open up to is just it's absolutely massive now like mm. there's loads of stuff to do and if you have the season pass you can get these bounties that will just le- level you up to power of 640 which is all raid which is brilliant I've bought everything so yeah, yeah. Hey, so it's, it, it will happen um, that's exciting we've got the point where yeah, we'll sort of sit down to play it usually every every weekend or so and it's just a case of well you know, what's on what what is the most exciting thing we can do right now. Mm. And sometimes it's like, hey, there's this secret mission over here that contains a giant jumping puzzle um, that is incredibly hard and then followed by an incredibly hard combat challenge if you can even get past the giant jumping puzzle Mm. in the 20 minutes it gives you. Mm. Uh, Um, Or like some weeks... uh, three-person dungeon thing opens up, which is different from their three-person strikes, which are fairly simple like combat challenges. And this has a bunch of raid mechanics in it. It's sort of just this long, beautiful environment. Um, 
and you can do that like once every three weeks because it is a game that doesn't explain itself very well. <laughs> That's true. And hides lots of things and sometimes mistakes not explaining itself for mystery. Okay. Um, <laughs> but what it really is is you've got to look it up on the internet. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, sounds like it's in a good place if you're mm. into yeah, that, uh, into, into your loot issues. Yeah, if you're prepared to do a bit of Googling, it's a very good game. <laughs> Okay, great. Well, we have covered all the games I have on this list oh, uh, in some form mm. or another. I guess we did just talk about The Division 2 briefly there mm. um, while discussing Anthem. Um, That's true. It's good, though. It's it is, yeah. I think it's just because I couldn't face discussing it after spending some <laughs> Yeah, time. I think the point you made in your review that sort of stood out to me was the fact that, like... Nobody is really doing these kind of third person like that's the thing that it's got differently over Anthem or Destiny or something is it's a proper like third person cover shooter. Um that I mean, at one point I would have been incredibly tired of, but I think I'm ready for like a good version of that again. And the missions in the division two really do nail like what works about a good cover shooter. Yeah, absolutely. That was that that was how I felt coming out of it. Like um there was a, a time in the late part of the last decade and early part of the last decade where you were playing a million of these games that had a kind of like brownish colour palette yeah. and they they sucked and I hated I hated <laughs> the Gears of War series even though I thought it was very well designed but the tone of it was just so off-putting to me hmm. uh, and then those games just went away and um, open world games became everything hmm. um, and so now these these levels have to exist within uh, the you know larger context of an open world looter yeah. shooter but they're they're very very good they're very well designed and in Endgame, they'll remix it with new enemies and yeah, and, and give you a greater challenge. It's a it's a cool game for sure. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it, and I do look forward to you catching up so we can. Um, mm. I can. I'd love to go through all the Endgame stuff with you, actually. Yeah, and, uh, there's so many cool games out now, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> so it's like just trying to organise like what anyone's going to play at any particular time. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's so tricky. much to do. Indeed, yeah, and even like um, even Sea of Thieves, which has reached its one year anniversary, is about, it's like going to get an infusion of new stuff, um, mm. like fishing. I saw. Yeah, fishing. I think fishing might already be in the game, okay. and then there's like, but then they've got these. I think like more competitive stuff. I don't know. Um, they released a big. Um, uh, they, they they dropped a blog entry explaining all this stuff they want to do. So, mm. yeah, um, excited to see how that develops. It still feels like a slightly. Like it could, still, it could do with more variety in it, even now. Um, but it's a, definitely a nice experience to go around an open world with pals. Mm. Um, yeah, and to get owned by other pirate ships. Yeah. yeah. Hey, this is Andy Kelly from PC Gamer, reporting live from Yorkshire. The frozen wilds to the north of the PC Gamer office, where I now live. Speaking of frozen wilds, last night I spent 83 minutes, judging by the Steam game clock, hunting a moose in a Siberian forest. The game is Hunter, or rather The Hunter, Call of the Wild. Um, it's a hunting sim by Avalanche, the studio who makes Just Cause. Mad Max and recently Generation Zero. I reviewed it a while ago, um, just before I left Bath actually, to move up here. Um, and it was fine, um, meandering pace was a bit much, very glacial. I mean, I like a slow game, but this is slow. Um, need a lot of patience. Um, but it was uh, kind of un unremarkable, some amazing scenery. Um, but I never felt the urge to return until last night when I spotted there was a DLC um, for like four quid, which is what I had in my Steam wallet from selling some trading cards. 
um, for a sort of Siberian wilderness extension, expansion thing. So I bought it, because, I don't know, I just felt like playing something slow and atmospheric, and I'd just come out of reviewing Generation Zero, which uses the same engine, and I think I was yearning for that kind of atmosphere, but without killer robots and a bit more of a, a considered pace. And so uh, I fired it up last night and accidentally spent 83 minutes uh, stalking a single moose. Now I stumbled upon the moose accidentally at first. Um, I was tracking a deer, then I saw the moose emerge from a thicket, a giant beast of a thing, and so I shot it. Um, but these things have really tough hides, and they're one of the toughest things to hunt in the expansion. And I basically grazed it with a flesh wound. Um, but what you can do when you injure an animal is that you can follow its blood trail. And so I followed its blood trail, followed its footprints. Uh, I spent a lot of time nosing through its droppings to see their freshness. Um, a fresh dropping means the creature is nearby. An old dropping means you're kind of lagging behind them. It's quite a cool system, actually. It's quite fun just methodically tracking the, the, the beast. And about four more times, I successfully tracked the beast down, and shot it, and failed to kill it. And so I kept grazing it, flesh wounding it. Uh, I kept running away. And so I spent, um, according to Steam, 83 minutes uh, hunting this one moose until finally uh, I destroyed it and claim my trophy, uh, and claim my experience points, and it was very satisfying, because I felt like I'd earned it, even though I was close to giving up several times. Um, no, I never hunt a moose in real life. I'm not into hunting uh, gentle beasts with large rifles, um, but in a game it's fine, right? I mean, video games let you do things you otherwise would not, uh, either due to practicality, morals, or whatever. So. Even though I was uh, a harbinger of death for the moose, it was very relaxing because the forests in The Hunter Call of the Wild are extremely good. Uh, uncommonly good, like some of the most natural feeling kind of wildlife, the wildernessy countryside type world design I've ever experienced really. And if you turn the music off and just listen to the ambient sound of leaves rustling and birds chirping and wind blowing and stuff, it's like really atmospheric and really immersive. I still don't think it's a great game. Um, the a sort of animal AI is a little bit sort of skittish. I know that sounds like animals are by their very nature skittish, um, but it, it kind of sometimes they'll glitch out or run into things and get stuck in. Uh, and still, it's very slow. And I mean, it took me 83 minutes to kill one animal. So, um, but yeah, there's something just really kind of soothing about it. It, it ticks my boxes in the same way as sort of exploring an Elite Dangerous or driving around a neural truck simulator. That kind of slightly passive, I mean, and interactive enough to feel like you're doing something, but passive enough to let you just kind of relax into the moment of it. And yeah, I had a really great time and it was just a complete impulse buying. Um, yeah, so if you, if you feel like kind of exploring nature and harming some uh, innocent animals along the way, virtually of course. Um, yeah, check out the Hunter Call of the Wild, and if you've got four quid knocking about in your Steam wallet, maybe buy the Siberian DLC because 
Um, the, the maps that come with the game are very leafy and autumnal and kind of lush, whereas this is very nice swirling snow and crunchy ice and stuff. It's very, it's very cool, literally. So yeah, I'm sorry uh, if there are any moose fans out there, but I would, I would never harm a moose. But virtually, I did harm a moose, and I felt, I felt a great sense of satisfaction when I finally killed the thing. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. See you next time. Cool. I'll rattle through some news stories then. I thought that would be a nice, uh, I don't know, a nice way to end the podcast, as we don't have questions since the podcast didn't exist for a very long time. Um, I'll start with the least interesting first. Google announced its uh, streaming uh, game service Stadia, uh, which I've written snore next to it in these <laughs> notes because it wasn't very interesting. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I, it might work, but it'll have to be in front of people first and it'll have to work on a variety of internet connections. Mm. If it doesn't, it'll fail. That's yeah. what it feels like. The whole basis of it needs to be proven before I can even start thinking about how, you know, how they'll sell games there or how games will be consumed on such a platform. Like, we've played on live, we've played with various versions of this and they've never worked. So, yeah. we'll wait and see. Yeah, yeah. I um, was on Magazine Deadline when it was announced, so I didn't pay too much um, attention, but I did drop into uh, the the keynote briefly and just saw a big screen flashing up the words, the data center is the platform. <laughs> and I immediately closed it, and that's all I have to say about Stadia. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of platform agnostic kind of thing and then the actual it was the actual discussion of the games I really hated it mm. was like uh, Jade Raymond's running a studio we can't say what they're making probably because they've just started if they've mm. just hired her um, and uh, yeah and then there was uh, that bloke what worked on the old Star Fox games Dylan Cuthbert came out and he was like yep Key Games is making something built around this sort of share system where you can jump into someone else's game and play that moment Again, can't talk about what it is. Hmm. They have a partnership with Ubisoft on Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the game you played six months ago. Yeah. And if I like, if you're Google and you have that much money, spend some proper cash and show me the Avengers game for the first time running on your platform. Hmm. Um, but they didn't even have Doom Eternal like um, sh- showing at the thing. You had to go to a GDC panel to watch it. It was a very flawed um, yeah. reveal that felt like it straddled being an E3 tour, an E3 reveal and a GDC talk. Um, and was ultimately good at neither, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I guess it could be interesting one day, but like you say, Tom, it's in front of you, who cares, you know? Mm. Um, okay, more interesting, though, uh, was the Epic Store continuing to snaffle up exclusive games. This time, it's bringing the old PlayStation exclusives from Quantic Dream to PC, mm-hmm. Heavy Rain, uh, Detroit Become Human, I want to I say, yeah, and um, Beyond Two Souls, mm. and then there is also Outer Worlds, which is going to launch exclusively on the store, and then mm. I think a year later it'll probably come to Steam. Yeah, one year exclusives seems to be the norm for a lot of the studios. Like there's another game I was previewing called The Cycle. They're doing the same, where there's going to be exclusive to Epic for a year and then break out on Steam probably. That's just like, with that game I thought, that's a bad decision because you're a game that needs lots of people on your platform a, playing Yeah, it. it's, a, it's a co-op 
not boss, not battle royale, but lo- loaded with squads, load into a map and do missions competitively uh, in a race before a storm comes and destroys everything. Especially as the preview code was running on Steam. As well. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, well, we're playing on Steam right now. Yeah, it's the thing. It's like Metro Exodus as well. That that was probably the most contentious one because it was on Steam right up until it was taking pre-orders. Last yeah. moment, it's taking pre-orders, and then suddenly um, they're like, nope, sorry, you can only download it on this new platform. You have to download this new store. You have to download a client for. Yeah. Uh, and that rightly pissed people off. It um, sounds like they're moving away from that a bit. Like I don't, I think Outer Worlds might have had a Steam page, but then it, it wasn't. But I it don't wasn't. know if it was taking orders. Or it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Um, at this point, it seems like their strategy is to corner all of the interesting PC games coming to that platform this year mm. and have the, take them away from Steam. So yeah. you have um, Control as well from Remedy, mm. yes, also being a, an exclusive to that store. Um, which again is like that's quite a big get. I mean, at that point, you kind of wonder how many of the big games this year are really left. I mean, mm. Sekiro has obviously launched on Steam, um, but that was kind of already in in the works. I think I was taking pre-orders for a while. Um, yeah, it seems like their strategy is a bit longer term now than uh, uh, snapping up something that's just out in a few weeks. Uh, yeah, I guess the question is like, will it work? But the other question is, why is it good for? players uh hmm. and like uh, we, we've discussed this obviously like um, the epic store gives a better cut to developers but what does it actually give to consumers other than another platform in which to buy their games hmm. like as far as i can tell nothing really like uh, i've talked about this a couple of times uh in various places but i think um as far as i can tell the only problem the epic store seems to designed to solve for me like as a person playing games like not a developer etc is um the the solution to problems it itself has created by paying a developer a lot of money to be exclusive to it Mm. and i mean it's hard to be too angry mostly because okay so the the bandwidth this happening like the my the human cost to me for this happening is i have to download a launcher which isn't necessarily a big deal yeah but it also means there is a new thing uh, that is trying to fight my existing sort of fairly comfortable ecosystem of launches and behaviors that I have that I abide by. Yeah, um, like I shed no tears for Valve over this for sure. No, for sure. Mm. It's just like I mean, Steam has been dominant long enough that usually if I'm looking for a game to play, I'm looking at my Steam list and I have to actively remember that I have games on other parts of my hard drive. Oh, yeah. Um, I have admittedly so, acclimatized that um, with yeah. like Uplay and, you know. Yeah, because like those are stores that launched with a very strong kind of um, niche, i.e., Uplay. That's the store where the Ubisoft games are, and Origin is the store where the EA games are. And I don't know what I don't know what the Epic Store is about yet. Really, it has no identity to me. No, I think it'd be more interesting if they if Epic acted as more of a publisher and was spending its money making new games. Hmm. I mean, I guess it is with this 100 million grand they've got going hmm. um, for indie games. I think people are just actually free to sell those games however they want. Um, but I don't know if they they acted more as a publisher and had their own range of stuff coming out. Maybe they will do that eventually. Um, yeah, they're, they're in a position to actually curate their library in a way that Valve has rejected, moved away from, um, and Valve constantly gets into trouble for this, for allowing certain things on Steam, uh, just because they it's, they seem to want it to be more like a 
a big app store where anyone could upload anything and the market decides. Whereas Epic uh, said, well, they would say this, that, you know, they're going to take a more curatorial approach and uh, I think Tim Sweeney says we're not going to let any crap on Steam whatever that means you know. it's like they've already got some pretty average yeah, games like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. It's, so, it's so easy to say that but like <laughs> right. they'll just have fit in like the standard like people criticise Steam moving away from a curatorial approach but the idea that Steam has ever had curation like they mm. just had a bunch of publishers that they partnered with who were free to release any old shit like the problem with that approach always seems to be that it kind of encourages developers to go for some form of publisher when they don't necessarily need it. Like, especially in a system where they are giving a better cut to developers anyway. Like, that's clearly aimed at a certain tier of indie developer who may not need like to get into bed with one of these third-party publishers, mm. etc. But now. Now there will be publishers who can promise, oh, well, we have a deal with the Epic Store or whatever. We can get you onto the Epic Store. That's fine. And that will become a more attractive prospect. So I think there are like consequences to what they say that, I don't know, it doesn't feel like they've thought through entirely. Hmm. Or they, they can make nice statements, but I don't know if they've necessarily demonstrated the ability to follow through on it. Yeah. I do like the idea that developers are we get that upfront prior the upfront chunk of cash and they can invest it back into their game mm. or like for something like Phoenix Point it probably I think they might have revealed how much they made from it I right. think it was oh, going yeah. around um, but I don't want to say just in mm. case I'm I don't have the data in front of me mm. um, but the idea that like that investment would go back into the game or the marketing like that would make a big difference to a game like that that's built mm. on crowdfunding yeah uh, the, I think it uh, it does challenge the 30% cut that Valve takes for for publishing on Steam but I don't see like many people complaining about that 30% cut because you, if you you get the exposure on Steam you make a lot of money <laughs> you'd really do like it is it's got a massive massive captive audience in a way um, yeah. so um, it's not to be underestimated I think Epic's um, I like Epic's free games have been very good yeah. Yeah. legitimately good free games that have been Slime Rancher yeah. Oxen Free yeah. Oxen Park, Free is a really good one Subnautica yeah. obviously yeah really really good games like so there's, that's nice that's a nice Buzz, but the, the store itself is still feels really underfeatured. I'm not sure you can even search the store with. It just seems to be a big list. It's a big, um, it's a big old list, and uh, yeah. not just perfectly fine. Like you, because you you have so few games on there that At the moment, it's yeah. not like you have any trouble finding them in your own library. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I've used it before for playing like Shadow Complex Remastered and stuff, and it's fine. It basically but, works, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I suppose we'll see where we're at in a year. Um, mm. By then, we might have just become more acclimatized to using it. But like you say, Phil, it doesn't have much of an identity, like what it's yeah, actually I for, just... beyond solving problems that Epic has created. It feels like all the game stores and launches I have, like I use, I use because they have a specific thing that they do. And in Steam's case, that is just because you became the default catch-all for all games. Like mm. you, you, they, they. And not, they, for, and not for nothing. Yeah, they earned that position. Um, they're pissing it away for sure. Like <laughs> they're, I don't know. The last few years have been uh, very strange for Steam. Like, yeah, it's the fact they don't really they don't make games either now. So it, it's it's become harder to figure out what Valve is actually about. At um, least they're updating the library. That's something, I guess. Yeah, they're updating the library. Um, they released Artifact. They did release Artifact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that is that is a game oh, they yeah, made and released. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, uh, it's we'll we'll see. Uh, it, it's I do wonder the benefit to the Epic Store purely in terms of like if you're not one of those developers that it courts for exclusivity, like that gets the payout. 
they could probably do with actually coming up with some numbers and letting people, letting developers know like what are the benefits going on that store. Yes, you get a better cut, but are there a number of people there buying the games that they need? Well, actually, they did reveal some information about this at GDC. I think they said that Metro Exodus had 2.5 times the sales on the Epic Store that Last Light had on Steam at launch. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's one of... I just don't know what that means, though. Yeah, I like, don't... Does, uh, does that... Is that does that include Redux? Is that aside from Redux? What does launch? I think it's quantify? the original. I think it's the original launch of Last Light on mm. Steam is what they said. Plus, it's they, I mean they did a lot more marketing potentially for this Metro game than they had done in previous ones. Like it's just hard to tell. It's an interesting thing to consider though. Like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, PC gaming is in a bit of a different place to when that for that last Metro game launched as well. Like it's probably a lot bigger. Okay, so more of a slam dunk they revealed at GDC was the uh, existence of Vampire. Blood, wait, how, how Vampire, just, uh, the Masquerade, Vampire colon the Masquerade, uh, M dash Bloodlines <laughs> two, M dash. Uh, uh, with our style guide, I don't know which dash we're meant to use. Actually, for, uh, I think it would be an N dash for yeah. It's yeah. an N dash for Bloodlines. Yeah, um, yeah, and then M dash with it by via our style guide. <laughs> uh, I've actually not played the first one of these, but um, I, I know what it means to people for a, a sequel to a cult hit that was released in quite a shonky state in mm. two thousand four. Um, uh, to exist, so it's another kind of like immersive sim, well adjacent sort of like yeah, uh, vampire um, game, right? Yeah, probably more like explicitly an RPG, but certainly in that kind of Deus Exy style. Like there, there are elements of that, and being able to choose your approach through a level or whatever. But it is very much about like how you progress your character, and yeah, um, hmm. boy, was it broken the first game. Um, but like the fan patch for it has become really good, and it's like in a really interesting set that you can definitely still see some quirks playing through with that like uh, the fan patch adds a way to just skip one like labyrinth of the game that I think the community has just decided is bullshit like that was just <laughs> badly designed here is a door you can go up to that says do you want to just skip past all this Wow, okay. um, excellent. That's like if uh, I wonder if um, the people working on like the Halo uh, PC hmm. sort of versions have done that for the library. Like, <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what the library you know what? is shite? You know, yeah. working there. Yeah. You're not you're not missing anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sh- fighting this alien over and over again with a shotgun, like, uh, and then it's over. Um, okay, well that's interesting. If you've ever seen my words, by the way, next to Vampire the Masquerade in the PC Gamer Top 100, it was simply because I had to bulk it out. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that happens, especially freelancers love to vote for Vampire and then not supply words for it. <laughs> yeah, um, I love this game, but I'm not prepared to put my name. Yeah, I don't want to have to write 100 words. I mean, I get that impulse. Like, if I have to write another 100 words about the original fucking Deus Ex for the Top 100, <laughs> it's why I like the list being shook up so much, so I don't have to write about the same games every yeah. day. If you wonder why a game just mysteriously disappeared, it's because everybody has just drained all their takes out of it. <laughs> well, so the cool thing about this, right, is that it's uh, it's the original writer yep. of the mm-hmm. first game. Um, it's been made by a different studio, of course, because the original doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I think there are two or three key people who are coming back. Yep. Um, um, it certainly seemed to make uh, like a good first impression in terms of like being true to that universe. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Livingston was less sold on the combat in the demo. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was a, a universally sort of hailed um, bit of news and people got excited about it. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, the vampire fiction is a really rich place that games tend to mess up, really. Mm. So, I mean, what was the 
didn't don't not do a vampire vampire with a Y with a Y yeah. that, that was very good Doctor no Wheeler yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you played an evil vampire doctor who wasn't evil sometimes or something or other yeah I remember CCP working on the World of Darkness MMO for ages until they yeah. canned it you know there's been loads of kind of aborted and kind of mediocre attempts to do the, the whole vampire fantasy RPG thing um, so it's just good to see another studio taking a crack at it um, mm. not sure about Paradox's history with RPGs though like it's a uh, yeah um they've also paradox's history of like uh handling games that could release broken um they've right. got better at that in recent years yeah. like they, they've, they've had to make a few public statements saying that time we released this game that was completely broken and fucked was definitely in our past and we're moving on beyond that yeah, uh, and they've done that two or three times i think hmm. um they seem to be in a better place now, but yeah. Even uh, even Battletech launched in. I mean, it got better like after like a month. Yeah, right? I mean, mm. that, that was at least mostly playable. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We gave it a good helps. score. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, good yeah it was a really yeah. good game. Um, yeah, I I wonder what their original plan for it was because I think it sounds like um, Hard to Apps is it who's um, doing the development. Like they heard that um, Paradox had bought the World of Darkness license and basically immediately went and pitched to them. Um, and I think Paradox assumed that it wasn't like they were just going through the motions listening to it because they had their own plans for the game. Right. Um, but apparently the pitch was good enough that they gave it to them. Well, so well, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it, it, it's cool that it exists. And like, um, I, I'm I'm just curious to see what yeah what Paradox's version of like a game like that will be. Yeah. I mean, it's um it's so different. To the set in there. Seattle, Bloodlines Two, um, because. Uh, Partly because that's uh, where Hatsu are based, I think, um, and sounds like they're going. They're, they're not sort of shying away with the problems that a modern urban city faces, like uh, especially with companies like Amazon being in Seattle. Like in the cover feature that we've got running next issue, like they talk about, okay, well, you know, gentrification is a big problem here. Hmm. Corporations are sort of moving in and exerting power and that seems like the prime pace place to sort of have vampire fiction be a, a theme interesting yeah cool okay so uh, when's that uh, that cover feature when can people read that film uh that is a good question it is early april 4th of april i think i want to say 4th of april yeah okay if, if the 4th of april is a thursday then that's when <laughs> <laughs> and subs copies going out uh, subs copies going out on the 29th mm-hmm. of march well exciting mm. Um, okay, good. Well, that's everything for this podcast then. I think I've just about remembered how to do this. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, thank you very much uh, both for talking about various computer games. Is it good? Yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll, be, we'll be back again in two weeks, I hope. Maybe. And yeah, like Phil says, the magazine is available on April 4th with Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 on the cover. Yes. And some other treats. Um, including a secret game. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, that's quite a story behind that one. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, me and Tom, you can read our work on PCGamer.com all the time. We're always writing something or other. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, yes, there'll probably be an Andy Kelly section in this that you uh, may or may not have enjoyed Uh after listening to this I have forgotten how to podcast <laughs> so I'm just going to end it there just stop talking that's how we do it this is the end of the podcast goodbye <laughs> <laughs>